0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode number three from the March of Minisodes. Adam Chimielewski here with Matt Pagel. And, man, I'm telling you, dude, it has been a long time recording these episodes. Oh, my God. What are we on, like, our third straight day of this stuff? I can't believe. March Madness is about to begin.
1: I can't believe that we've had all these open days to get these episodes in. I'm really, I'm really glad that our schedules have cleared up enough that we can do this. It really makes it a lot easier. When you can just oh take a- where you can just do one at a time, take the whole day, it's great.
0: Oh my god, yeah, exactly, dude. I'm telling you, not working and doing podcasting, this is a sustainable way to live in California. I will tell you that.
1: You could <laughs> and- wait, you could you you'd say that, but I, I still love the on running joke from like House Hunters where it's mm-hmm. where like okay. whenever they ask the jobs of the people and it's like it's like um, I run an Etsy shop. I'm a podcast producer. Our budget is 2.1 million dollars, and it's like what? There's yeah. no possible way any of the, that. None of that makes sense. That sentence is a lie.
0: None of that makes sense whatsoever. I can't even watch those shows because of that stuff. Sometimes, like there are just times where I'm like, there's no reason that these people should have this much money to have on their house, and I just like refuse to watch it. I mean.
1: Let's let's just I mean, we talk about this all the time that how the the things on TV and in movies, how unreal they are, like, Mm -hmm. especially like if you were like on a set for some of this stuff, like you'd be shocked at how fucking how fake it looks before you, you get to all the editing, the special effects and everything else. Can can we just go ahead and say that those people aren't actually buying those houses or do we still have to pretend like they are?
0: I am comfortable saying that they're not actually buying those houses because it fucking bu- it just it bugs the hell out of me, dude. And like one of the things that has always kind of driven me nuts about um, living in areas like LA or even like this this house hunter stuff is like you're just being sold on this completely unrealistic. Dream and for and I'll even I'll even localize it to Northeast Ohio. Like when you read like the Scene magazine and stuff, and like you know they tell you like, hey, you know you should go get a beer at Happy Hour, live downtown. You know you could drink beer while walking through Heinen's. Hey, like why don't you go work out at this gym downtown and then go have a beer after that? The lifestyle that the Scene magazine is selling people on in Northeast Ohio is like an eighty thousand dollar minimum lifestyle to lead, and like we've been sold on these. Unrealistic life. like Friends, is a great example with the, the apartments and everything. Like, how does how does Monica and Rachel like afford this place? And even especially like when, being... when,
1: especially when Monica was like, Monica and Rachel were like lightly employed for a while too. Regardless, right. regardless of being rent controlled, they were unemployed mm-hmm. in Manhattan for a while.
0: Yeah, with a place that fucking big, and like Jess and I's place, like our place is nowhere near that size and the bacon that Jess and I have to bring home to afford a place in LA that's nowhere near as big as the friend's apartment. Like what we're going through here is the reality. All that shit on TV just drives me insane. And like, there are people that like see this and it's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to come to LA. I'm going to be a barista, you know, I'm going to live the LA lifestyle. And it's like, yeah. So, um, how often are you going to be calling your parents for money? Or are they just going to give you one big "get the fuck out of my life" statement? You know,
1: living in the you can do that as long as you want to live in the shittiest bungalow and like Rancho Cucamonga and fucking commute forty five minutes to work. Just to, like sure, it's yeah. possible. Not really, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could live that life if you want to go through a lot of hassle, and that 45-minute trip from Rancho Cucamonga, that's going to get you just to the highway that you take to go to the job next after that. Like, you're still not even at your job in a 45-minute drive. (laughs) I don't know why Rancho
1: Cucamonga popped in my head, but I always like saying that at random.
0: Oh, I completely agree with you. And um, they have a Dodgers affiliate up there, believe it or not. The Rancho Cucamonga Quakes are uh, the uh, minor league of Dodgers affiliate up there.
1: Oh, that's got to be a a tiny one, right? Like a yeah, ball.
0: It's not their. It's not their main one. Like I, they have other like L.A. Dodger or Dodgers, like the such and such Dodgers that are the higher up affiliates.
1: Yeah, well, I know because like their, their AAA is like in Oklahoma City or something. And I think their double A is like Vegas. Or maybe I
0: have that backwards, but either way. Yeah. So, either way, we are not going to be talking about minor league baseball. Nope, not um, not this time. No. <laughs> yeah. And believe me, there's a lot of stuff that we could probably say about baseball, but we'll save that for another time and place. This last of my mini-sodes, at least for this session, is going to be about the expanse. And. I got to tell you, man, this is a show that you had turned me on to. And this was some an experience that I really enjoyed. Um, I like I guess I thought that this would have been like the more appropriate forum to do it. Like the us doing like the big three hour marathon episode and s- stuff of covering the whole season. I don't I don't know. Like I for some reason, like I, I think that like or the whole show, actually, it, that's just a lot to cover, even in, we would need like to do like expanse month. So for our month of mini shows, I just, you know, wanted to have a discussion about it. It's a show that I really, really enjoyed. And I'm hoping that you all out there enjoyed the discussion that we are going to have. So if, um, Oh, let's see here. So what we're going to do is, um, this is my third of the mini shows. We're going to keep, I uh, have a three part discussion The opening, the exploration, and some quick favorites. And the exploration section is going to have three subcategories where we analyze different elements of the show, like the allegorical, the standout character, and the science. But before we get to that part, let's uh, get into our opening discussion here. And if you were trying to sell watching The Expanse to a random person, uh, in three sentences or less, what would you say? Well, hold on. Before I even
1: get to this, I would just Mm -hmm. like to say, for for the record out there, everyone... Um, I could do an expanse month easily. I could do multiple episodes that were three to four hours long about the expanse and I wouldn't even blink. So I'm just throwing that out there. I am, I'm happy. I am actually really pleased to talk about the expanse in a little bit more detail, but, um, I'm kind of, I am gently pissed off that we're not doing this for three hours
0: okay Whew. all right well let's get through this and then we can maybe get into a like a longer expanse episode because i like literally as far as the actual show goes i'm not covering that much territory so i basically had like a drop in the bucket of stuff that we can cover oh, yeah. so if that's ever something you want to explore further i'm all for it dude. all right
1: that's-, that's it we're changing april to expanse month that's it's been decided
0: appreciation expands. yeah it's fine all right so anyway um
1: so explaining so three sentences less. my little my little cell job here um so this show is a must watch because it never once compromises itself to deliver the most complete and concise look at the future of mankind what happens when we're unable to and what happens when we're unable to escape our collective ghosts even though we thought we left them literally all behind on Earth, Mars, or the asteroid belt, no matter what we, go, what we do or where we go, those ghosts follow us everywhere.
0: Whew. That is fucking awesome, dude. Very, very great. I would be sold off of that 100%. The thing with the ghosts was extremely intelligent and articulated very, very well. And mine is um, nowhere near that good. I just say that it's a very entertaining and intelligent show that rewards the work that you put into it, and you will see some of the coolest and most interesting space settings and stories out of the last ten years, quite possibly ever. And I'll be honest; I'll, I'm throwing out the "ever" thing because I have, I'm not as versed in Star Trek in, in Star Trek as you are, it's, and some of the other stuff. So I'm, I'm going to yeah, throw that out there.
1: I, I, I'll just say that, like, it exists on a, even though it actually takes place. Almost concurrently in time, um, it's they're 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 going at very different things. Um, the expanse mm-hmm. is trying to really really trying to show what the you know trying to be as realistic as, as possible. Um, obviously with the inclusion of of aliens, uh, really like realistically gods is really what we're like kind of getting at uh, in the expanse. but um, there there is a significantly more realistic twinge to everything that happens in the expanse versus that anything that happens in star trek
0: oh you got that right dude definitely the realism and everything is something that i that i really loved i found myself researching things that i never thought that i would research and i'm going to hold off on some of the stuff because we do have this factual section and everything or science based section i should say but um i will tell you dude that um the intelligence level is like through the roof and like i i put in that um, line in my description about the work you put into it, because like, that's what I had to do. Like, there's a lot of these kinds of situations and stuff that are very compelling and so interesting. And these little nuggets of situations or science or results of something, That I was just captivated by, so it made me put a little bit of extra effort into the show, which completely rewarded me. And believe me, dude, if I was like one of the, if I was a NASA scientist and stuff, some of this stuff might be registering on all levels and then some. But since I have not, I did have to put some extra work into it, and the results were great.
1: Yeah, it it really is. It's. I think. What I think when we say something like intelligent show, it's not that we're saying that like. You have to be a smart person to to follow along or to get into stuff, but Mm -hmm. but what the what the writers um, James S A Corey, which is a a, you know writing pseudonym for um, uh, Daniel Frank and Ty Abraham or uh, Ty Frank Daniel Abraham, um, uh, they're the writers of the book series and also they write you know they're also writers on the show as well and producers on the show as well. They're not going to shy away from from you know showing how actual real world physics would work in something like a, a gun battle and mm-hmm. because of that it, it's not that it's like oh this is for smart people only you kind of realize that when um i hope i'm not going to blow up your spot here in terms of your science but i'll just give like a quick you know this is a real quick one when you know if you're on a on a spaceship and you're shooting people the people that get shot they they don't fall down okay Okay. No, you're not.
0: You're not. You're not. Oh, I'm not. you're not. You're not. You're not blowing it up. Keep going.
1: Okay. So, like, when you you get shot in a spaceship, because there there is not there isn't going to be fake gravity in a realistic space show that takes place in you know a couple hundred years to our future, it's just you know if you want to stay stuck to the floor, you got to wear magnetic boots. And once you die, those magnetic boots are going to stay on, and your body's just going to sort of like you're going to look almost like that like that wacky waving flailing arm inflatable man in front of. in front of car dealerships. Like you just like go limp. That's what happens to you. So like Mm -hmm. it's, it's those little touches in it. Whereas in in another, in other space shows, someone gets shot, they fall down. Um, and so like, there's, there are things like that where they're not going to dummy down certain realistic elements of the show. And that's what makes it intelligent. Quote unquote. Definitely.
0: And I am really sorry for interrupting you there because you were getting ready. It was almost there. And then it turned out to be something different. So, um, that is definitely a really great attention to detail that the, the writers and production staff have paid attention to. And that is the kind of stuff that like that I consider to be the intelligence show. You're, you basically said it the exactly like how I would say it. It's not like a hey, you're dumb or you have to be smart to watch it, but it's like these kinds of details and this kind of work that goes into it really sets it aside from other shows in terms of the way certain things are presented. Mm
1: -hmm. And and just, you know, real quickly, it helps that, you know, obviously you're going to have to break certain laws of physics to get certain um, cinematic elements out of the show. Like there's just no way around that. But it really helps when you have someone who used to work at NASA is your one of your showrunners and science advisors.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's always going to be a, a good help and all that stuff for sure. You know, having this like it's one of these deals where a lot of um, for a lot of people, it's going to go like unnoticed. You know, there's probably there's been a lot of stuff in here that I you know, missed out on that I did didn't take the time to look up. But it is just one of those deals that it is a, a, an attention to detail that um, that I think you really you only really see like if you watch it like you don't see this kind of attention to detail in like sitcoms and stuff. You may see like oh somebody remembered that so and so said something or so and so did something, but there isn't this kind of like intelligence level. This isn't this level of detail and like yeah, having somebody on NASA. Uh, NASA person on staff. Um, it makes me wonder why. Hey, like if Armageddon like maybe did something like that. If there would have been some more factuality to Armageddon. They
1: did. They just totally ignored everything this guy yeah. told them to do. So it's
0: like <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly right. It's like, oh my god. But but yes, I I'm all for the um I'm I'm all for everything that they did in terms of the the details and some of the intellectual stuff that we see on the show. And if you like. You know, there's no like specific answer here, but like, you know, if you had like a list of like fifty shows from like the last ten years or so, where would you rank the expanse? Like ballpark if you I, I will give you my
1: top five shows of all time that Ooh. I love. Um uh it, it's number one Game of Thrones. Even the mm-hmm. last couple of seasons can't dim what happened previously. It's that good. Yep. Um mm-hmm. number two is Breaking Bad, possibly the greatest character study um from beginning to end. Of all time on TV, and The Expanse is number three in my all-time favorite shows. And then if I I'll round out the top five there. Uh, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, my fourth favorite. And believe it or not, I have since we've talked about it, I have watched it again recently. Uh, the Leftovers, number five. Nice. I've, very, I've watched The Leftovers nice. literally six times, beginning to end now.
0: Oh hell yeah, dude! And believe me, there watch it six more times. There's nothing wrong with uh, repeating such brilliance. Um, in terms of viewing as a show like The Leftovers yeah. and all that. And that is a very, very solid top five list. Like, I I got to say that it's it's definitely in my, like, top 25 somewhere. I, I wish I had it a little bit more specific. I, I think something that um, – no joke, dude, I'll tell you. I should have got into it when you started recommending it. I just waited too long to get into it. So, like, this is something that um, I did – I really, really enjoyed the hell out of. Mm-hmm. I just – I am – right now at the moment and capable of putting together a specific spot on the list. And I, I don't know if it would be that high up for me, but um, it is definitely, it is oh, definitely sure. in the, the top half of that 50 for sure.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. hundred um, percent. I mean, I get it too. Like it's, it, it, even though I know you're a sci-fi fan, it isn't, it, it is not a sci-fi show for everyone. Even, even amongst the sci-fi people, it's not a show for everyone.
0: Oh dude, that's a, that is a really, really good point, man. Like, and like I, I like enjoyed the hell out of this. And like, I'll tell you also that I almost feel like if I was a little bit smarter, I think I maybe would have gotten some more of it and not had to like do, uh, some secondary research and all that stuff. But, um, in general, this was a, this was a great ride, um, from start to finish. This was a very, very solid ride. And I am looking forward to continuing this, scu- this discussion, which we'll do right now. And, um, this is something that I did notice in terms of my um, experience with the show. And what are three ways that the show changed after it was picked up by Amazon?
1: So it, I really don't think they're as drastic um, as, as you might think as, as one might think. but I mean obviously the, there is one that is visible almost immediately and it's the budget. The budget mm-hmm. definitely changes, but it's not really it's not like suddenly the show got Game of Thrones money or something. Like it, right. it didn't really increase that much, but you can really tell that there was a, there was a much bigger investment in it. So they can have multiple sets. The set design mm-hmm. was a little bit more elaborate when they needed them. The, the, the VFX, the VFX especially were a little bit more uh, detailed than they were the previous seasons. Um, yeah. So it's not like, it's not like there was a suddenly, you know, they're like suddenly we're seeing like the most elaborate space battle of all time, but you could tell that there was more when they did have to do a special effect like that, a video, a VFX like that. It just looked a little bit sharper. Um, you could see a little bit more of what was going on. And you can tell that they, which is one of the curse of like, sci, of I don't know, I mean science fiction shows, I mean of shows on sci-fi, the channel. Um, a lot of the, set like the same three sets basically used for fucking everything. <laughs> but you can tell there's a little bit more of a diversity in sets. And like we got outside and stuff more after that.
0: Yeah, you're definitely right on that. Like, the injection of a production budget, um, it's, you're right, not totally in-your-face noticeable. You know, it's not like the difference between Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace. But it is um, something that you could tell in in the details and stuff, and, like, also... I also think the outside thing is a great, that is really great because we do start to go outside a lot more and we get to go to, go to like not just like one particular place, but a lot of different places outside and like some of the um, production budget, you know, you could tell that they got a, like a nice influx of money mm-hmm. somewhere in there. And when it comes to like the way that the stuff on the sci-fi channel looks like, like I'm trying to put this the right way. Like, It sort of kind of looks almost cartoony to me to a certain degree. Maybe Mm. like things are like brighter than they should be or something, or maybe something's a little bit, there's too much contrast between an effect and like a green screen background. But once um, Amazon comes into play, some of these kind of little wrinkles get ironed out in terms of the overall visuals and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you on that one. And, um, I have another one to add where, Go um, ahead. and I don't know if you know, hopefully you, you noticed this, but like, um, characters, not all of them, but I'm going to focus on two specifically seem to get like a little, extra jolt of energy to them and um christian
1: i I have something similar go ahead
0: okay she becomes a one-liner machine in the show and um once it like not necessarily the year that amazon takes it over which is season four but like there are some things that are planted in season three which um I just I got to ask you, like, was it one of these situations like did they know they were getting canceled in season three? Then, then with the thing to sell it or do you, did they do season three? Everybody thinks they're going to get season four. Oh, no, they, they knew they were canceled. canceled. They knew they were canceled. OK, because I actually had this like very interesting kind of theory about this, because I, I what I saw was a show that knew that it was going to get canceled. But since they were you could, you know, basically have shows resold and bought by different uh, media you know, like the way Brooklyn Nine-Nine did, Mm -hmm. you know, shows starred one place could end up on another network. It almost feels like they knew they had something. And in season three, they kind of had to open the doors a little bit more to kind of show what some of these characters could be in terms of like, you know, continuing the story forward. And so um, Christian's character, I noticed that she became a one-liner machine starting in season three and really till the show's end. It's almost like you're watching the scene just to see like what crazy comeback she's gonna have or what exit room line she's going to have. And these weren't um, as in your face as they were in the first two seasons, I feel. When, especially because in season three, they start to drop the F-bomb more. So she was getting like all the F-bomb one-liners and all that. Yeah. And then um, my second character is Amos, played by Wes Chatham. And um, I noticed that in season three, he got a little bit more definition to him. And not just in terms of like backstory and stuff, but he kind of became more entertaining. And they gave him all these little like comic relief kind of stuff. Like he Mm -hmm. thought Christian was hot and they kind of ran this joke through, um, through, you know, as a running gag kind of throughout the show. Um, And then there was also some things like um, when he was being questioned by like this, you know, like this documentary crew type people that were on the ship. They start to find out some things about uh, Baltimore, and if he had to cross dress or something, mm-hmm. and he just has these kind of one slides like, "Oh, well, maybe I did," you know. So they give him kind of this cool comic, you know, kind of comic reliefy stuff, even though the I feel the original comic relief was reserved for Alex, who was just fantastic. I loved Alex mm-hmm. as, as a character on the show, but it almost feels like they became aware of what they had, and thus felt they needed to round out another character.
1: Yeah, I think um, I, I, I noted. I'll, I'll get to what I what I noted in particular, but um, I think that was I think that was a I think that was a product of two things. That one, you know, more so now than ever, um, we shows get like instant fan reaction, and um, uh, Chris Jen and and Amos were like especially popular uh, in the Twitter sphere and especially popular in memes and stuff. Um, about Mm -hmm. this time so it's one of those things like okay the instant feedback the people love them let's make sure that they get a little bit more rounded out and the and for both of them the books the book series as it continues on does fill in like for the most part this this series almost follows you could call it like a book and a half per season essentially um Mm -hmm. it follows along very closely to the books so we were going to get there with amos um anyway we're gonna get there with more christian stuff anyway so it's like well why don't we just kind of accelerate the timeline in terms of fleshing them out a little bit
0: okay that's cool like i i um knew about the books the leviathan wakes and everything um i was unaware of how tight they are to the books and i'm very happy to hear that the um you know these writers and everything kind of stuck to it
1: yeah yeah exactly um so here's something that I noticed, uh, besides like the sort of the fleshing out of the characters, um, this show post moving to moving over to Amazon, this show gets a little horny. Um, there's, <laughs> there's definitely a little bit more, um, there's more sexual, there's more sexual situations and it feels less neutered than it mm-hmm. did, um, early on. I mean, you know, you had some like Amos flirting a little bit, but like, I mean, literally Amos fucks. In uh, yeah. in season four and flirts with men and women alike. It doesn't fucking matter to, to Amos, uh, which kind of makes sense because West Chatham is a fucking hunk. Like, dudes dudes a piece of beef, ladies. He's a piece of beef. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, when we first in, when we're first introduced to Bobby Bobby Draper, she's essentially like a fucking machine, and mm-hmm. even she gets a little bit more. She gets chances to kind of flirt with people. Yeah. and you know it's you know it's uh, like. Um, uh, why am I forgetting that? Frankie Adams is the actress. Um, She's this real tall athlete. I mean, she looks like a, she's looking like, it looks like an Australian basketball player, essentially. um, mm-hmm. uh, an, an Aboriginal Australian basketball player or take it back. She's from New Zealand. But anyway, she goes from like this fucking destroy. I mean, she still is a fucking machine throughout, but it just seems like they're just like, okay, well she can also be a woman as well, instead of just a killing machine. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then I think we get, like, the biggest thing that we get out of this, um, you know, after, um, I guess it starts in season five. Yeah, it starts in season five where we get uh, drummer's poly family, the, the poly cooler, whatever yep. you call them. Everyone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not really even that explicit. I don't even think you really even see nudity or anything necessarily. Maybe, like, a, an errant, like, ass here or there. But, like, it's just, like, a what, eight people essentially sleeping together? Something like that? Six <laughs> yeah, people? Yeah, it's a big,
0: it's a... It's a bed of fun, that's for sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, and, and when I mean sleeping together, quite literally, like, sleeping together in, like, a mass. So mm-hmm. this show definitely uh, got a little bit hornier than it was in the first three seasons.
0: Oh, you got that right, dude. Like, I, I remember, I think in the pilot, there's some zero-G sex that takes place. Uh, that's correct,
1: with, with
0: um, um... Naomi Hold- and Holden. Yeah. Yes, and, um... I I thought that was awesome, but they don't really go. Oh no, Holden,
1: Holden and his first girlfriend on the ship that gets killed. Um, when it gets gets blown up.
0: God, that's right. That's right. And, um, we, we don't really go back to any of the, the, the sexual stuff, you know, it's, um, there may be like references or something to it, but the show in general really gets sexualized after the, the Amazon move. And what's interesting is that, um, in this push for sexualization, they don't go all in your face about it. Like if this was HBO, there would you oh, would yeah. be seeing boobs and all this kind of stuff. We would know the details of Kamina's uh, polycule oh, family yes. type thing. We'd we'd see that and all the crazy crosses and masks and whips and shit that they have. There, there'd but, be belter um,
1: dicks left and right in that in that poly family.
0: Without a doubt, dude, there'd probably be people with like three penises and oh, stuff yeah. like that, like in like the the male version of Total Recall. Total Recall, yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, and um, I I was very surprised how they sexualized the show, but did it in this rather like muted kind of way. Like Frankie Adams, it's just like you know her and this guy that she meets during her um, you know, during her time not working for the mcrn like yeah. she's doing that kind of uh, black water under legal work yeah. or whatever she's doing Yeah, but but it's like still it's still the character having sex and everything and like it always makes me wonder if like you know because we had we had been with um bobby draper frankie adams for a while on the show now it just makes me wonder like if they're sitting around the writer's room one day and they're like You know, maybe they can't think of something or maybe they want to explore something, but they can't quite think of it. And then somebody's just like, we need to get this woman laid. And then they just build a whole like three episode arc thing around like a sexual encounter for her just to, I guess, maybe humanize the character a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's there's there's this sort of there's like, you know, the ongoing joke about like um, about how like at least I see it in memes all the time online about how like horny soldiers you know, instantly try to marry women and get them pregnant and stuff. Oh God. Yeah. Those
0: um, are fucking hysterical. I love those. Sorry, those. Those are fun. Those are funny. I yeah, they're hysterical. They're really funny.
1: <laughs> I mean, you want to tell me that like Mars most lethal killing machine. Who's in like great shape. Um, and Frankie Adams might not be for everyone, but she's pretty fucking hot. Um, mm-hmm. she's pretty fucking hot. She might not be for everyone, but like, you can't deny that she has some serious sexual energy. You can't tell me that that woman doesn't fuck. Come on. She fucks. Right. She fucks. Yeah.
0: She fucks. Yes. All these women are like too strong to not fuck. You know, they don't really, there's no real female pushovers in the show that I could think of off the top of my head. Like even the woman who is interviewing Amos is still a lot of agency and a lot of um, action. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she takes control of her situation as much as the character can. So that is one thing that um, like, and I guess I've always found this to be unbelievable, especially more so in, in my adult years where it's like the powerful women like this, they want to get down and they want to get down just as much as anybody else. And they do get down. So it's almost unbelievable for a character like this to go to have a relationship with a character, as long as you have with, with Bobby and Kamina and to not have them be sexual at some point in time.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um yeah, so the expanse gets hornier, and then I'll also i also add just real quickly here, it's related to my, my first point about the budget, but I also think this is this is also due to where the books were going anyway, that we get significantly more locations. Um mm-hmm. and like they just feel the the whole story feels like once we get to Illis, that the whole story feels like it really opens up in scope. Like the show feels in terms of a show that's jumping all over the solar system, quite literally. Um, it finally feels like it's that big.
0: Yes, that is wow. Jesus Christ. Actually, like, I'm glad you put it that way because, um, I was going to say something similar in terms of like branching out, you definitely put it a lot better, but like once we get that influx of money from Amazon, this story that takes place in space really does feel like we're covering a lot of territory. And I know it's weird because they cover a lot of fucking territory mileage wise and lightyear wise yes. all throughout the show but like once we get into like post um, season 4 that's when i feel that like the door really opens up or i should say the ring opens up there a, you go the situation. ring space
1: the slow zone <laughs> but, but
0: like, oh yes yes and, and even like um even without focusing on the ring specifically like the elsewhere that we go in the show opens up a lot more too. Yeah. Like New York and everything, like Bobby goes to the water and stuff. We mm-hmm. get to see beyond like the walls. We get to see some of the um, the areas like that are beneath the city and stuff like that. Like that's in like the, the like Batman Begins and the Dark Knight and all that, like the sub-city stuff. Yep. And, uh, and you know we we wouldn't have gotten there i don't feel without the uh, the influx of jeff bezos' amazon cash oh
1: there's there's no way thinking about amos's whole story which is fantastic too getting his whole background of baltimore there's no way that we have a season that follows uh he and um and peaches um fucking her, the the whole uh, mm-hmm. julie mouse sister i can't remember the mouse sister um, there's no way we get a whole season that watches them essentially walk from Baltimore through Philadelphia up up farther north um, with his ex-gangster yeah. buddies. I mean, the whole thing is on site. Well, obviously not in Baltimore; it's somewhere in Canada on site. Um, but like physical locations, not a lot of sets. Them actually shooting outdoors. Them actually shooting in some kind of cityscape. There's just no way that that happens in if it, if the show sticks on sci-fi the entire time.
0: No, definitely not, dude. And like those kinds of things gave a lot of um, opportunities for these characters to have new adventures and stuff. And to also like, you know, set them up and develop them to the point where like, I feel that the way that they ended some, like, you know, the characters of Amos and everything ended in an appropriate way. It wasn't like we didn't get anything with this character over this time and then he's gone. Like they, you know, they really developed them and I don't think they would have had that opportunity had not the cash come in. Correct. Correct. Awesome. All right, dude. so let's move along here. And now we're going to get into the area called the exploration, which is going to be broken down into three subcategories. The allegorical, the science behind the expanse, and the standout character. So let's start off the standout character, the second one. So let's start off with the allegorical. Let's take one element from the show that is an allegorical for the world that we live in. Identify the allegory, and how does this element drive the story forward?
1: Yeah, so this—I mean, I, I'm gonna—I'm gonna take the biggest one. Uh, I hope you don't mind. Um,
0: and Go And it's for the it.
1: one—it's the one that underpins the entire show. And this entire show is about colonization, mm-hmm. um, it, and how—and when I—when I mentioned like the sort of the ghosts of our past that we can't—that we haven't left. Or that we can't escape. You know, even though we're, we've we moved out to the moon, Mars, the asteroid belt, and even farther than that, the, the same things are coming with us. And in this particular case, it's colonization. The, the rich have taken their ships, pointed them at the new worlds for new resources. Um, and in this outward expansion, wherever they go, they bring death and disease to the local populations. Uh, when they get there, they take their they take cheap labor, cheap uneducated labor, exploit them for as little as you know, pay them as little as they can, exploit them as much as they can for all these resources. Um, and then when the when the cheap labor and or the indigenous populations lash out, they brand them as terrorists, kill them, and then replace them with more cheap labor. The cycle of colonization uh, that we that we thought we were uh, you know getting beyond at least at least the way that kind of. Um, in in the way that the the OPA, which is the Outer Planetary Alliance, the Belters view mm-hmm. both Mars Mars and Earth, that we kind of you know the Earth and Mar Earthers and Martians sort of feel like they're superior, and the the Belters view it as like you guys are just fucking us over. You've been fucking us over for decades, hundreds of years, and you're going to keep fucking us over. And mm-hmm. that's sort of you know the colonization for them, the colonization has never stopped for people on Earth they don't see it that way for people on Mars. They don't see it that way.
0: Right. Exactly. Yes. This right here with the colonization and everything you said about going spreading disease, when they rebel, just kill them and replace them and stuff. That is basically allegorical for a lot of history here, pretty much a majority of history. And I would be safe to assume that it is still going on in, um, in certain sections of the world and stuff. And, um, that right there is uh, just a very, very good insight into some of the horrors that come with this action of colonization. And I also do like how you phrased it when it comes to how the Belters and everything like that are definitely going to have a different perception of of their situation than earth and mars you know the earth and mm-hmm. mars they don't view things the way that the belters do and that is a great conflict that is fundamental to the entire show throughout the duration of yep. the six seasons and um i have something that's rather simple but i have a question after you after i oh, explain sure. this because but um so the, the thing that i have which the allegory i went with is clearly mars it's a uh, a red planet allegorical for <clears throat> In China and in our modern world. It could be an allegorical for Russia, depending on your age, I guess. Yes. When you you read the books and stuff, and the thing, not only with the red and everything in Mars and you know the Chinese and Russia, but the idea of Mars being this for the state type of planet, where like everybody in there has a job, has a role, has does military time. You're either you're working for the state. Everything is for the betterment of mars which is a mentality that is shared by china today i I don't necessarily think about russia but um it's definitely a a mentality that is either shared or forced on the chinese depending on how you view the situation over there i will say forced on but um that is what you're seeing in the expanse is allegorical for what we're seeing with uh, with China and stuff. And the question that I have for you is actually not related to that. It's something that that drove me nuts, and maybe you'll be able to shine some light on this for me. But what is the ring allegorical for? I, I like I couldn't find anything specifically in terms of like online about the ring being an allegory for something. Like, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, you you mean you mean the slow zone, the actual transit rings? Yes. Um, not allegorical for anything other than like, these are literally where
0: the new worlds are. It's okay. That's it. Okay. Thank God. Cause like, I, um, lost a little bit of time trying to find something like that. I, I, the, it just sucks because like, I, I didn't go with this cause I want to sound like an idiot, which I will do right now, which like, oh, I, go I honestly thought, thought that the ring would have been allegorical for something like the internet being able to take us to new places and stuff, but at the I same mean, time, you know what? I, 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 I couldn't find anything to reinforce that though.
1: Here's here's the thing about um, really smart literature. Be I mean, be it literal, you know, be it actual literature, be it actual books, or any kind of um, any kind of entertainment medium. If it's really well done, you can put a lot of allegories on it of your own, and they make sense. Right. And these so- books are extremely well written. The show is extremely well done. You could one hundred percent take that as an allegory for the internet.
0: Okay. Like, thank you very much for that because I will tell you that some of the things on the show, like what you had just described with colonization is, is very in the forefront. You know, even like what I described with Mars is very much in the forefront of the translation from allegory to the, the allegory translation between the show and the world that we live in. Yeah. The ring was one of these things that I was just convinced that this is supposed to be something, and, like, I guess it could be anything. It's completely up to the the viewer for forms of interpretation, and I I won't get into it just because of our episode length, time, and everything, but I did have some thoughts on, like, the the ring being allegorical for the Internet and this ability to take us places that we had not been before.
1: It could be. I mean, the Internet, um, the atomic bomb... um, True. ...gun, a gun, Gun. you know, the first guns. I mean, like, it really could be allegorical for anything. I mean, it's either... It could be it because it it could be seen as a force for good or evil, it's allegorical for a lot of things. Um okay, but I do want to I do want to circle back to your allegory between Russia and China. And so this the books kind of the way that um Frank and Abraham wrote them, they did have sort of a more modern world. and by modern, we're talking the last like two hundred years, um in terms of like the modern the modern Western world. how. Mm-hmm things have played out in colonial United. You know, well i guess more like 300 years 300 plus years um how things have played out in colonial america colonial africa colonial asia um south mm-hmm. america and then and then it moves on to you know the eight you know the late um 19th and late and early 20th centuries and world war one so there is like a there is sort of a not that they're writing it exactly in time but major events in the book series kind of coincide or you could kind of put them as like okay this is allegorical to world war one this is allegorical to vietnam etc etc um so you could look at the mcrn you could look at mars as one part world war one imperial russia and then Mm -hmm. one part um especially like 1970s like mao's china or um not mao's china fucking wait mao's china
0: That's the 70s. Yeah, that's the I feel like I've got the time time. period right there.
1: But you know what I'm saying? Like the MCRN is essentially I mean, not that not that Earth isn't in this case, too, but especially the MCRN are very much allegorical to these these sort of, as you put it, state first empires. That's exactly what they're
0: standing in for. No, definitely, dude. And the, the whole thing about empirical Russia, World War One, like, yeah, I, I totally get what like where they're going with with um, with that comparison and everything like that. I remember in um, a previous episode, you had you had mentioned that, that too. And once you had mentioned that, it kind of shines some light on mm-hmm. the whole uh, situation for me. And, and, and
1: you could even look at it like when they, when they when the when the Republic starts to fall apart, not really fall apart, when there's finally like an armistice, um the The end of the empire is the is the end of World War Two, um, or mm-hmm. I should say, I should say the end of the Cold War. Uh, end of Cold yeah. War,
0: Russia is what happens to them. Yes, yes, definitely, dude. Yeah, definitely. I totally got that. Like, when it comes to like the um, the crumbling and stuff, then I think the Al- the allegory could become even more identifiable mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. sure. Awesome, dude. So let's move into the standout character focus, where we're going to choose our own standout character from the core cast of the show. We're going to answer the following questions here. Just why did you choose the character? What is it specifically that you like about them? Um, if there is um, how, your char- sorry, how your character arcs throughout the course of the show? And what um, do you believe is the statement that the writers are trying to make through your standout character? I, okay, uh, I want you to go first, actually, on this one. Okay, mine. I love her so much. I went with Kamina Drummer, who is played by Canadian actress Cara Gee, who's from Toronto, and she is also Canadian
1: um, Canadian First Nations actress Cara Gee. G G. okay, yeah. Cara Gee. Cara Gee. Yes, just I'm just I'm pointing that out because in everything else that she plays, she almost always plays a, an Indigenous character.
0: Gotcha. Yes. Um. Sorry about that. I got lost in something because I just fucking realized that a lot of notes I made were. I had this issue with my Wi-Fi at my job yesterday, and I did some of these notes to kind of help me oh, along in terms of some of these pronunciations. And the fucking thing didn't say, But it's not a problem. I, I know what I'm going to say. I just because she is a god damn it. The pronunciations of O Ojibwe. Ojibwe. She is um. She's an um, an indi- you know. She's a like a member of this, like an indigenous, like culture yeah. She's a member of a tribe. Like I don't,
1: I don't know, I don't know which one she is, but yeah, you're right. She's a member of a tribe. Yeah.
0: it's called. Um, I had the pronunciation down. Like I literally fucking wrote this down, and it's like <laughs> way. and it's like they are. I'm not even gonna try it. Like I'm just gonna fucking ruin myself. And I actually went out and did the goddamn effort this time around too, which <laughs> it, it
1: gets me. Just say she's indigenous.
0: She is indigenous to a tribe that is. Um, specific to the Great Lakes and Canada and everything. Mm-hmm. And I I looked this up because I will tell you, not to mention I wanted to get to know the character and of course mispronounced her name because I did one of those things where I didn't fucking hear somebody actually saying her name. And I, where I'm going with this after I calm it down a little bit here is that I loved her fucking choice of accent for Kamina. Hands down the coolest accent on the entire show. I just fucking loved the way that she talked. That was like one of the things that I thought instantly like drew me to the character Mm -hmm. was the way she kind of delivered the lines in this fucking awesome ass accent that she, um, that she had and everything. So, um, I also love her because, dude, just what a straight-up badass, like a total fucking badass as far as, like, a leader goes. Um, Her overall character persona is just incredibly strong. She commands the screen whenever she's on it. Um, I I really, really dug that about the character. And the... um, the way that she arcs throughout the duration of the show, which is of course was one of the sections that got deleted was in the beginning. We just meet her and she's on, on Tyco station. She's working with uh, Fred and everything. And then in the end, she becomes the president of the trade union, which yep. she gets via um, holding resigning and everything like that. She and, gets from um, Holden there, being Holden. Yeah. Holden being very holden right there. And, um, throughout the uh show she um is, is basically like with the with the belters a lot of the the time and everything when they refurbish the uh the spaceship and everything into the behemoth she goes out to the to the ring um just a, she's a character that is a part of the show um for, uh, for a lot of it and a core central character um god i'm really so mad at my job right now like this whole This whole thing pertains into a much larger argument about returning to the office. That really got me. But uh, when she ends, she is the president of the trade union. And the statement that I – believe that the writers are trying to make through this character is a stance on anti-exploitation which the belters have just been they were exploited to fucking death Mm -hmm. and like they were basically going to continue to be exploited to death and not given any voice not given any seat at the table until holden interjects in that big table scene that's like in the the last episode and stuff where they're Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how this whole thing is going to be hammered out and like there is even just this point in time where I, I was like, you know, like, OK, so that's they're just giving the belt. This is like the best that they're going to do. And then you got that really awesome twist at the end when Holden um, gives her like gives her the the power of being the president and stuff. It gives the people that are exploited control over one of the most valuable assets in, in the entire universe and everything. And that is like that is just stakes that she did not have at the beginning it stakes that the the entire belter culture did not have at the beginning and while um if you want to talk about in terms of being viewed as equals that is entirely up for debate but in terms of like actual standing in the universe the belters now are like on some kind of equal level as a lot of the other members of Mm -hmm. the of the solar system
1: they they finally have a legitimate seat at the table um, even yes. if it's not, uh, I mean, it is like I mean, they control the trade routes through throughout mm-hmm. the solar system. So I mean, it's obviously extremely important. But you know, they're still smaller, you know, in number, in size, in technology. But they have a seat at the table because they control one of the most important pieces. It's also not even remotely coincidental that the who ends up the person who ends up being one of the most standout um, one of the most standout characters from all the Belters from the Belt of Loda, um, and who ends up being essentially their leader, it's not a coincidence to me that they made sure that that was played by an indigenous actress. Like, that's right. not a mistake.
0: No, definitely not. No, she, Okay, so she is Ojibwe. That is the specific tribe, and it is a... Um, Anesha, Anishina- Anishinaabe is the overall, like... Um, that is like the, the the reservation page that you go. Yes, ex- exactly. Yes, so. Found those pronunciations. There's no fucking way in hell that I was doing that research to not say those appropriately. <laughs> I'm, like I'll explain. I'll explain once we re- get done recording this episode. But this is a small piece of a of a large complaining pie that I did the job Yeah, don't yesterday. worry about it. So, okay, <laughs> all right. So yes, my standout character is Kamina Drummer. How about you?
1: She was my runner-up. I had a feeling you're gonna pick her. Um, and I just want to add. I just want to add like two things real quickly to it. That it, her. It's so like they so the language they speak, Langbelta Belta, is what they is what they call their um, their Belter Creole, um, and she does have the most interesting interpretation of it. Uh, it I, I I kind of wonder if that is, I kind of wonder if it's the tone of her voice because she has an interesting tone too. Um, it's just yes, it, it's 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 interesting tone to her voice. It's just everything makes her very that and like boy does she make. Uh, a, a big thick line of mascara also work um in her <sighs> favor like she is listen um bobby draper fucks kamina drummer clearly fucks um yes what a fucking great character she, she's such a badass and i buy everything that that sort of makes her badass i fucking buy like there is not a moment where i go like eh she's putting it on no she's a fucking badass mm. love kamina drummer
0: yeah Easily like my favorite character on the show and like it makes me wonder if the character you chose is my runner-up <laughs> So probably you know, just, Probably but
1: i'm gonna good. go with uh fucking secretary fucking general of the united nations christian fucking avisarala um played by showrag dashloo who as chema very Very astutely pointed out gets to say fuck a whole lot once they move over to amazon Um, Mm -hmm. so I picked her, I mean, one, it's just a great character, and I, after having, after having seen the show, I can't imagine anybody but Shorag Dashlu playing this character, um, with, if you don't know who she is, you do know who she is. She has one of the most distinct voices in all of Hollywood. Um, she, as far as I know, she doesn't smoke, but sounds like she's been smoking her entire life. Um, (laughs) it's, 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 it's pretty insane how husky her voice is, but... Um so I here's what I especially liked about Chris Jen is that for the most part on TV shows, especially these kind of like these kind of like broad epics, um, you know, like Game of Thrones, like the Expanse, um, you could fill in some other ones, that the good guys lack the super cunning characters. Mm-hmm. Um the the people who are extraordinarily smart and will kind of work their way around you. That's almost always reserved for the villains. When you think mm-hmm. of someone like Littlefinger in Game of Thrones, right? Like, right. the smartest, the smartest guy in the room or gal in the room is always one of the villains, and it's always something the heroes have to overcome. But like, one of the good guys is the smartest person in the room. So I, I, I kind of like that we've we've flipped that expectation a little bit. That, and and good guys is sort of um, probably in the in the case of this story, a little bit of a gray area term. Um, are the Earthers really good guys? I mean, probably not. But certainly certainly for the most part she finds herself on the right side of the fight, if you will. Um So even though she is one of the good guys and she is this very super intelligent, cunning type of leader, we really because I guess because she is so smart, we get to see all of the moral quandaries that she has to go to, all the lengths that she has to go through to sort of maintain peace and also, you know, um pacify the pacify the earth pacify uh, the moon make sure everyone is basically getting what they want and we get to see all of these sort of maybe less than moral things that she does and all of the very um underhanded political things that she has to do that she does to sort of keep that and we don't necessarily see that in the good guys all the time a lot of times it's reserved for the bad guys um and then you know but we see her we she goes from like the beginning to this very sort of kind of stoic almost like a workaholic who doesn't trust Mm -hmm. a lot of people you know save for like you know her like essentially like her one like secure her body man essentially um that um that uh i forgot what the exact connection was she's that the body man the serve with her son that was killed in the last war Uh uh-huh is that correct
0: yeah, it's. I know exactly who you're talking about. The the the, the big guy. Her yes, her
1: her personal bodyguard, who's with her the first couple seasons. Um, yes, he um, played by a guy that was on. I can't remember his name. Nick. Oh fuck, Nick Terabe, who's a pretty funny dude um, on Instagram. Definitely worth the follow. Um, <laughs> he, um, it, you know, like that's like the only person that she trusts, and we kind of even see that like a little bit of a a little bit of a version of that later on when she's got. When Bobby Draper essentially becomes her body man, um, but it's kind of through opening up to her and opening up to other characters like Holden that she goes from this like kind of closed off um, political animal to someone who's building bridges and building um, building coalitions um, after only worrying about only worrying about Earth. And I I think what like what they're kind of like they're going through with this character, it's I think it's really important that she's older. Um, which kind of becomes a minor plot point in Season 5 when she gets ousted for the younger, fresher um, politician as the as the Secretary General. Um, but, like, I think it's important that she's older because, like, we take the wisdom of our elders for granted all the time. That's something everyone does every single day when the reality is there are times when you need someone who has been there and done that to... They don't, they don't necessarily have to steer the ship, but we definitely need their guidance. So I think it's important that the, the character is... I think a lot of shows might have cast her as someone younger and instead they're like, no, 72-year-old Shoray Aghdashloo is going to play her because it's important to stay true to what this character is.
0: Without a doubt, dude. The age thing in this whole thing, you need, there has to be somebody with that experience and stuff. There has to be somebody who has a larger knowledge of the world than the the core cast of the characters is all fairly young, young uh, men and women and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, so, and because she's older, it really allows the cell of her and this ambiguity and stuff like good bad. She, she's got bad intentions, but she does good things or she does good things with bad intentions. The glue that kind of holds together this political storyline that they, that they have running throughout the course of the show. Like the age thing on that is absolutely vile to selling the character with believability. Like it just wouldn't work if she was in her thirties, you know, there has to be some kind of like seasonedness to that character. And like, I personally feel that, she was just a fucking show stealer and stuff like the voice in particular. I mean, that hooks you in from the moment you hear it, but like when she is on screen, it's a, it's a total attention commander. There's a lot of depth and a lot of dimensions to this character and everything, whether it's the relationship with her body, man relationships with Bobby, like when her, husband figure comes into play in like season. Yeah. Yeah. Season, yeah. Like season two, three, like when he comes into the picture, like, and then their relationship and everything and like kind of how he decides to not really be around her anymore. Mm-hmm. It's um, all of this stuff that happens. I feel is right in line with this character and stuff and playing the the power angle and, and all that is something that um you need in a in a story like this.
1: Absolutely. When when we had the I literally when we had the the uh Avasarala drummer handshake, I was just like I was kind of like in my head I'm like fuck yeah. Two the <laughs> two yeah. best characters yeah. in the show are like getting along. Fuck yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a fucking awesome moment, dude. Two really awesome characters Really glad that my my actual one I was going to go with Bobby, so I'm, I, I I did the whole one and two just in case we did have the same thing. But um, I was guys my I thought you were going to go with Bobby on that one, so um, I was wrong, and uh, we are going to move into the next section. Well, which real, is real quickly, sun. I don't I don't oh, want to
1: I don't want to drag this beat this, the horse anymore. But again, not not this is one of those things again as far as the you know the book and the TV show goes. Not surprising that we both picked women and both picked
0: minority women. Yeah, that's true, man. Give some give some minority actresses some love and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Especially because they are the most compelling on the that's, fucking show, hands that, down. That's like, what the future is going to be, folks.
1: There's going to be a lot of brown people all over the place.
0: Yeah, so all you uh, white supremacists, all you Auggies of the world out there, so prepare yourself. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I'm talking to you people in the middle of Nebraska. That's who I'm talking to because it's going to happen there as well. <laughs> all right, so... Moving into the next section, which is the science behind The Expanse, we're going to choose one element of the show that is factually accurate in in terms of its presentation. So um, just kind of keeping with some of our factual theme runoff from uh, last month. So in this section, we're going to um, identify which factually accurate element you chose how is it uh, portrayed in the show and if you could name any um movie or tv show that does what you're doing but is inaccurate or does what you are talking about but inaccurately um feel free to name that as well so uh go ahead and start it up bro so i'll go ahead and start
1: off with one that is it's it's just so funny like how it's so fundamental to the show and how this would actually and how space travel would actually work but it's The way the ships, quote unquote, fly, I mean, there's no other, there's not a better way to put it. They're not flying, they're just in a vacuum. But, um, but the way the ships fly in the show, you'll catch them every now and then, especially like in dogfights and things. You'll catch them. It looks like the ships are going backwards because they are. Mm -hmm. Um, you're in space. You can't just like turn a wheel. There's nothing to resist you to help you in turning. So, you know, we see it like early on. Um, there's, um, when Miller, when Detective Miller goes to, um, I can't remember where he's heading to, uh, but it's a different. I think it's a different. Um, it's a different asteroid, but um, he, wherever he's heading to, uh, he, yeah, he goes from Ceres to. Oh, fuck, doesn't matter. But um, the ship he's going to halfway in between, uh, the, you know, for transit has to flip around and then start firing its, um, you know, its uh, its engine. Why? Because it doesn't. There's no way to break. Otherwise, um, so you have to literally turn your ship over at some point in time and then begin slowing it down before you get there. Um, otherwise, you'll just go flying into an asteroid at many thousands of miles an hour, um, which wouldn't be great. And in, in as it relates to stuff like the dogfights, you can't just like turn on a dime. You, you I know, like there is like some possibility to, tor- to sort of shift your ship with little like you know little side boosters or whatever. But in terms of completely moving your your guns in terms of completely moving your ship out of the way you have to flip the entire thing and then fire off your rockets again to get moving um wherever you want to go i mean you literally have to rotate everything and this is there isn't a specific chema pick any fucking tv show that takes place in space these things (laughs) Mm -hmm. move as if they're like regular planes in earth's atmosphere which is just not how
0: it'll ever work Right. Oh, ex- that's exactly right. The whole thing you mentioned about going backwards and stuff. Yeah, totally, dude. Like you don't have anything to really control where you're going, and that's why, like, um, you might see like in movies like people having stabilizer thrusters and all this kind of stuff to keep themselves like locked in place. Mm-hmm. So what they have to do in terms of flying the plane, it's gonna be the it's gonna be the exact same goddamn thing. It's not going to be movements that are equivalent to what we see with planes here on earth because of the gravity and kind of just being locked into, you know, at least going forward, no matter what gravity, air
1: resistance, none of that qualifies in space. (laughs) Like It's not, none of it's there. Yeah.
0: Nothing. Yeah. Nothing does. So like for them to, portray this type of element on the show with some level of accuracy just feeds that whole intelligence machine that we were talking about earlier it's just these little details that really show and exemplify like um, an intelligence behind how things are presented in the show
1: yes exactly exactly how about you what's your uh, what's your factual uh, factual element here whatever.
0: Okay, so um, in S- Season 3, Episode 11, called Fallen World, uh, there's a bunch of ships that are going out to the ring that face a big de-acceleration.
1: Mm-hmm. And in
0: the de there's a lot of injuries. I mean, Kamina's even hurt. She's, like, stuck in this machine and stuff. She's going, uh, battling with Kale's Ashford and all that stuff, and, like, she gets stuck. A lot of people are hurt, okay? And, like, in this process, the ships... Um, it would be gravity machine, like the, the thing that keeps everybody. It's gravity, a, like, a, a centrifuge.
1: It's a it's a centrifugal force. It's a big wheel. I, I, there's an actual name for it, but it's a it's it's in 2001: Space Odyssey. It, um, you spin the the center, uh, you spin the center mm-hmm. drum, and it gives you the acceleration of that helps push you. It wouldn't be like full gravity, but it would push you to right. the floor because it's of centrifugal force
0: exactly exactly and this stops in the deacceleration there's all these people that are hurt and stuff and because they don't have gravity on the ship like these wounds can't drain and nothing can really Mm -hmm. heal like all these people are going to fucking die and stuff so like i saw this and this was something that when i was watching it i was like okay i need to know what's going on here and turns out that what they're doing here is actually rooted in some factual accuracy. So I found this article from um, Rutgers today. It's from January of 2017 by this guy named Todd Bates, who interviews a woman named Ronki Olabisi, who is an assistant professor at the Department of Biomedical Engineering. And her lab focuses on um, regenerative medicine and stuff like that with bone and skin and muscle and all that stuff.
1: I'm glad they're and paying like, for a little segment here. <clears throat>
0: Yeah. Oh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. We got it with the checks in the mail. And um, in this study that they did, they found that like everything heals slower in just, like low gravity environments and everything. So um, the idea that people being injured in a massive deceleration would be hurt and also have problems fixing it without or having problems getting healed without gravity is is comes from something that is factually accurate and now i I, without botching the entire history of space i'm aware that injuries have been sustained in space but i don't think it's obviously nothing at this level where there's a whole ship full of injured people and everything so for people that are hurt in space they you know have to come back down to earth to completely heal because it's just going to take a way longer time to do when you are not within earth's gravity and all that. And um, what's interesting is like, I don't, I couldn't find another example of this uh, in any movies. And anytime somebody is hurt or wounded in space, there's that whole kind of, you know, whether they explain it or not, but the the ship is always showing some form of gravity and stuff. Like I, I can't remember a movie or a show where somebody gets, basically gets hurt while floating around and they have to get back to earth to fix their wounds. It seems like all the movies and TV shows either opt to explain that there's some type of, you know, centrifugal force keeping everybody, you know, weighted down or they don't explain it at all. And oh, like when they I, don't when explain I think about, it at all. Yeah. <laughs> and like when I think when I think about like, you know, the movie Alien for example, like the, the thing pops out of the guy's chest and like you know, the, the guy, the, the dude's dead and everything like that. But like, that's kind of like how it happens in movies, just like people get shot and blood happens and like somebody either gets healed up or they die. You know, there's really nothing that I've seen in other films and TV shows that travels into the territory that they're doing here with this um, medical element of The Expanse.
1: Correct. Absolutely correct. Um, there's shows just wouldn't waste time on it. Whereas this show is going to go into detail of it because it makes it, it gives you that ticking clock and it makes, you know, this, this whole scene much more dramatic when knowing that like, if we don't get this moving, everyone on here is going to, everyone's going to hear is going to bleed to death internally because they can't, they have lacerated uh, organs and all sorts of things that like they need to essentially bleed like normal people to have, um, Mm -hmm. to, to be fixed.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I was, I was very happy that they paid attention to this, thus reinforcing everything I said about feigning the intelligence, the intelligence beast here. So, yep. um, yeah, so that was awesome. So we're going to carry it right on into the last little bit here, which is just our quick favorites. Got three of them. What's your favorite season?
1: Um, boy, it's really hard to pick, but I'm going to go with season two. Um, we get the very cool completion of Detective Joseph. Josephus Miller's, um, Joe Miller's, um, arc as a living person, um, at least, um, kind of concludes in the middle of season two, um, with that sort of really, really interesting, we finally, we finally get to meet Julie Mao, um, the, the girl from his noir detective story, um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that, one of my, that was actually one of, in terms of, like, the early season special effects, love that, and I love the conclusion of them sort of perishing together in, uh, um, in, in, in Venus as they, as she guides the entire asteroid over there.
0: Glad you put that one. That's actually what I have. And for a lot of the same reasons, okay. I loved that part on the ship, dude. Oh my fucking God. Was that awesome where he goes on there and finds the body and the whole thing about like having to try to talk to the proto molecule so that it doesn't slam into earth and stuff was, I just, I loved the, the shit out of that. And like, while there have been so many more enjoyable things that have followed, there's just something about that particular part in the show where I'm just like, this is what this fucking shit's all about right here. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I absolutely loved it. So glad we're on the, the same page with that one. Um, who is your favorite antagonist?
1: You know, this one maybe a little bit of a surprise here, but I'm going to go with the Laconian Empire, which is the breakaway faction of the MCRN that goes through the ring in the last season. Yeah, in oh, world, yeah, I guess in season five and season six, essentially they're the ones who help, not essentially, they're the ones who help arm Marco and Naros with uh, stealth tech so he can begin his bombardment of Earth with stealth asteroids, which is a fucking incredibly genius little turn of how, of how, um, you want to talk about David versus Goliath, mm-hmm. I mean, f- we're fucking literally flinging stones at the bigger, at the bigger planet. Um, but what a, what a, a, what a very clever sort of, um, what a very clever sort of way for a under, undermanned and outgunned force to fight the much bigger force to go ahead and throw rocks. They can't see at it and they'll crash I mean, it's like sending like 10 nuclear weapons into the atmosphere at once. Um, yeah, but yeah, so that was really clever, but it's really most of the, it's really most of the promise of like what I, kind of what I know is coming, um, in the later books. There's like a 30 year time jump. Um, once we wrap up the story of what we see in the in the six seasons, and mm-hmm. the Laconian Empire, the 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 general that's there, he says something to the effect that when he basically tells Marco to fuck off, he tells him, you know I'm not you know, anyone that comes across to, to our ring space, we're gonna shoot him out of the sky, I'm not worried about your war And he says something like,'m I'm, I'm here trying to kill gods. And the Laconi Empire in 30 years time, begins killing gods and they come out of the other side of the ring totally different. So it becomes a very the the later books are a very interesting turn for, for the Laconian Empire.
0: Oh that's really fucking cool. So like they're so so they they don't die when they pass through the ring? All that redness and stuff like that? That's just them. Well that's the one ship, but all the other people the one ship. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. All right. I was like, I was like, I swear to God, I thought that that meant that they died. But yes, that is fucking awesome. Um, I'm now like, believe me. Well, and then, and then, what you're
1: talking about—that's Marco Inaris' stuff, not the Laconian Empire or
0: all the Martians that escape Mars. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. My bad. My bad. I'm like now, like that. You mentioned this whole thing with the books and stuff. I almost want to get started on the fucking books, but Mm -hmm. I got so much stuff to read. But um, the Laconian Empire. Is an is a great fucking choice. It's, really it's the, good it's choice. It's the people
1: that we're following on the planet with the like the yeah. little kid and stuff. It's them.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, dude. Great choice. Mine is, um, Burn Gorman. Adulthus Love Burn Gorman. Mertry. Love him. So happy to see him show up in this. I almost think that this wouldn't be a TV show unless he did show up in the <laughs> edit at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, him in season four was phenomenal. There's rarely a point in time when he is not phenomenal. Yep. Um, I loved it. I just every it, playing the character that like he just just thrives at being a fucking asshole you know you look at him and like the guy's not like a big built jacked ass dude but he is a little dude who plays into his strengths like no other i loved him on thrones i loved him on this by far and away my favorite antagonist
1: i love bern gorman um and but he it's funny because he does funny as well like he can Mm -hmm. do funny as well it's really it's he's a very interesting character actor
0: yeah, him and Charlie Day in Pacific Rim was like some of the best parts of that whole yep. movie. I oh, back, absolutely! Their banter back and forth, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so, uh, last thing, favorite destination the show took us to. I,
1: I, I really, so I really did enjoy our first one, like our first real, you know, our first off-world destination um, in season four, uh, or I should say out, out of the solar system destination, season four, Illus. Um Just sort of like the really the first time we get to see the the Builder stuff, but I, but I'm gonna go. What I really did continuously enjoy was Earth. Getting to mm-hmm. see what future Earth looks like in there in in this interpretation was really fascinating. Um, how fucking crazy crowded it was, or how you know, in, like how the people lived, how certain people lived, whether they were super rich, super poor, whatever. Um, Earth was an interest, a continuously interesting destination, and I really loved it. Um, it very Game of Thrones esque. We got to see Earth change um, in the opening mm-hmm. credit sequence every season.
0: Yeah, that's right, dude. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of the portrayal of Earth. I loved the way that they made New York City look and everything. I wouldn't be safe to assume if um New York... I would be safe to assume that New York could easily end up like that at some point in time in the future. and Probably. stuff In the terms of its appearance and all that. And, like, I, I really like enjoyed their take on it and stuff. And even though it was not necessarily the most optimistic take on earth, but it is one that I believe to be very, very realistic. And I'm a big fan of anytime people really try to, do like the future. I just, I'm just interested to know what people think the future are going to look mm-hmm. like. I'm interested in your thoughts on it. And if my cat hoagie could talk, I'd be interested in what he had to say on the subject matter provided he knew where he was living. So, um, yeah, I was, a I was a big fan of that. And, and mine is, um, I love the ring. I thought the ring was, was cool. such a cool idea. So fucking awesome. Like it was, it was one of these deals that I remember having to go back and kind of watch the the sequence a couple of times, um, just to make sure that I had gotten everything right. But the way that it forms, the whole thing, just the coming out of Venus thing and stuff, and then just forming the solar system, this is just this really awesome direction, moment, everything with the show, because this was, like, gave us the opportunity to, like, once again, like we had talked about with the Amazon thing, to really open up this world.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I I really think, um, I'm, and I'm sure that there's, I'm, I'm sure there's a... a I'm sure it sticks close to the description in the books. Like I, I'm, I'm sure it does, but at the same time, they did a, such a really good job of making it truly alien. Like just something that is mm-hmm. so. When we, when we think about all the stuff that we see, even even on the planet Illus, like it's recognizably like a, you know, it, it's recognizable to something that we'd see on Earth, right? Not necessarily right. the mega structures, but like the rest of the planet looks like something we'd see on Earth. Whereas when we get to the when we get to the the ring space and the slow zone. It is it is 1,000% alien. And I kind of like the, their interpretation of it, even when they're doing battle on it. It's just a really interesting sort of backdrop for a battle.
0: Yeah, what a cool fucking thing. Just out of, just once again, uh, such an intelligent move. And I thought everything about it, the presentation, all the little holes that open up with it and stuff, just awesome. Totally yep. a really cool thing that the show needed, for sure. Absolutely. Hell yeah, dude. So that is going to conclude our third March of Minnesota episode. Can I, and, uh, be-
1: before we yeah. sign out of here, can I give you, um, can I give you a um, Expanse Easter egg? Please do. From the penultimate, wait, when was the, when was the, the, the assault in the ring? Was that in the last episode or the penultimate? Last episode. Yeah, yeah no. it would have been. It yes, doesn't matter, it been, yes. but did you catch the names on the strike teams that, that are going down into the ring?
0: Oh my God, I did not, no.
1: All right, so here's, so it's Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, ABC, you know, the three teams mm-hmm. there. Here's who's on Alpha team. Uh, General Akbar from Star Wars.
0: Oh, I did hear this, okay. Yep, Douglas okay. Quaid from Total yep.
1: Recall, David Bowman yep. from 2001 A Space Odyssey, Captain Shepard, or excuse me, Commander Shepard from Mass Effect. Duncan Idaho from Dune, Alex Rogan, The Last Starfighter, Jason Nesbeth, um, Captain of the Galaxy Quest, Edward Buck from Halo, Bravo Team, um, Shannon, uh, Shannon, uh, Shannon Garrity is actually a um, is a sci-fi author um, that, that uh, knows the uh, the authors of the books, Ellen Ripley, uh, obviously Alien, Hicks, Dwayne Hicks from Aliens, uh, mm-hmm. Cooper or Joseph Cooper from Interstellar, John Anderton from Minority Report. William Hudson from Aliens, uh, Jeanette Vasquez from Aliens, Deckard from Blade Runner, Jack O'Neill from Stargate, Charlie Team, uh, Lucky Star is from a a, a book series from Asimov, Luis Banks from Arrival, uh, Kevin Flynn from Tron, Ron Neary from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Johnny Rico from Starship Troopers, Mm Kara Thrace from Battlestar Galactica, Sarah Connor from The Terminator, uh, Ryan Stone from Gravity and William Riker from Star Trek The Next Generation. It's no wonder they won.
0: Yeah, no fucking shit. That's right. I did remember hearing some of those names. That's right. Yes. Awesome, awesome fucking Easter eggs, dude. That is badass shit.
1: There you go. That's how I'll end it. Uh, That's how I'll end my part of it. Chumbo, go ahead and wrap us up here, man.
0: All right, everybody. Yes, so we are um, close to... Approaching the end of March Madness, CSU is going to be in the Elite Eight, and uh, yeah, which means that um, this month of miniisodes—I'm just joking, everybody. Uh, this is going to <laughs> conclude our first little half of the March of Miniisodes. The occasionalist po- for the occasionalist podcast. Adam and Matthew Pagel, please feel free to go out and stream, rate us, download, interact on social media, do all of that stuff, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much.